Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom It's Arielle from the Wild Mother's Medicine Chest. Are you ready to step up and take charge of your family's health and well-being? My new course, The Wild Mother's Medicine Chest, is for you. This course dives deep into the physiology behind illness, natural remedies, and ways to naturally support the body in its healing process for everything from strep throat to head injuries. Whether you want to learn more about how to craft your own plant medicines what the must-haves are for your own herbal medicine chest, or simply just listen to powerful stories of maternal wisdom and healing, we have you covered. Head to freebirthsocietycourses.com slash wildmother and become the wise and witchy mama that your ancestors would be proud of. had a home birth with her first child, but was disappointed by the treatment of her midwife and with the Pitocin jab she was given that left her with no memory of her immediate postpartum. Sarah goes on to have a wonderful free birth with her second, but in her third and most recent birth, she tells us of how she invited too many people and felt too watched and in real time believed she had given birth to a stillborn baby. Sarah shares about her painstaking time with her baby in the NICU and how he finally began to flourish when she let it all go. I was not married. I found out I was pregnant with Penny um, a number of months before Corey and I married and knew that I would not go go willingly into any kind of medical scenario. Um, I didn't really have like free birth nailed down as a, as a for sure thing. And I didn't really even have that word in my vocabulary at the time. This was 20, 2015. Um, so you probably weren't even in existence. Um, I did. <laughs> I did. Stumble. I magically I know, appeared into the birth. <laughs> You hadn't manifested as, as the God of free birth that you are. <laughs> um, it, oh, that's funny. I, I did this for anyone who's wondering. Some, I did exist in 2015. 
Okay, so it wasn't even on your radar, but you did have this intuitive knowing that you weren't going to go willingly into the hospital. Yeah, like common sense. And like part of me does tend to like put things, put things into duck, duck, go like Native American birth ceremony. Like what would it look like if we took like civilized people out of the scenario? Like obviously people were giving birth and doing things just fine before that. And I definitely was hugely fascinated by traditional cultures and their birthing practices. Um, which is not to say that my mother didn't immediately translate that into like fucking little house on the prairie. And she's like, well, white settlers always die in childbirth. And I'm like, thank you for the words of (laughs) strong encouragement, mother. Um, but I found that on the very fringe of the internet that people were still doing that, but it is so hard. It was so hard at that time which is wild because it's only been, that's only five pennies, five. So this is six years ago when I was pregnant and it was so hard to find those people. And I found myself watching hours and hours of YouTube videos to the point where my partner, Corey was like, please, please no more, please no more. Um, no more strange women giving birth on, on the computer. Please just let me sleep. Like leave me alone. Um, but I watched so much of that and that was such a high, the high of watching other people have ecstatic births and basically live out what you'd read in Inamay's in Inamay's handbook that like these people give birth and they're like smiling and like laughing through it or or just like experiencing it and like feeling feeling the pain as it comes, but they're not screaming like someone is ripping out their toenails. And I watched these and it was it was medicinal honestly, to watch these. And I had myself pretty amped up about like, this is not going to hurt. I will feel nothing like this is not going to hurt. I'm going to have a good time. And it was a big like mind over matter for me. Um, Corey and my mother definitely wanted me to have someone there, which I guess in their defense is because they've never given birth without help. So (laughs) either of them. Um, So Corey uh, had never given birth at all <laughs> still hasn't still hasn't <laughs> my mother had two hospital births so yeah. that follows and it's it is a lot for people to like shrug it off um probably my first mistake was like bringing them into my birth space like if you're not comfortable with this you don't have to be you can be somewhere else that's mm-hmm. not like you don't need to be a part of this space if you're not comfortable and I know so know meaning that. that you chose home birth with a midwife but they were uncomfortable they wanted me to have a midwife. They did not want me to just do do it on my own. And maybe some of that was my lack of confidence and like not the right, not the right confidence or the right level of knowledge on my part for just doing it on my own. Um, they they desperately wanted me to have a midwife, and I and got a midwife kind of against my against my will. But I met her, and she. She felt like something out of an anime novel, honestly. And she she really, she's not that far from that. She's an unlicensed lay midwife and is appropriately chill. Like she she doesn't tweeze any part of any part of her body hair. And she was very laid back. And I really like that about her. She's doesn't have a fuck to give about her appearance. And she's very she's just very, very calm and like soothing to be around. So I think that I I took all of those things and was like, I guess this will like, this is a good compromise, but like, why would you compromise in your birth? You didn't have the language per se around free birth, but it sounds like you were very clear that you didn't want a woman you didn't know there. 
yeah, I never felt the need. Like I didn't feel the need to like, I, I didn't feel that I needed to be helped or saved in any way, I guess. So I think that my, maybe my concern was I hadn't quite made it to the point where I wanted to, to tell Corey that he didn't need to be in the room or with me. Mm-hmm. But that's honestly like where the dividing line should have happened. Like if you're not comfortable, you don't need to be here. And I think I was trying to make him comfortable. So in doing that, I hired this midwife at like eight or nine months into the pregnancy. So like, wow. like baby's almost done cooking. And I'm like, okay, I'm signing the papers, I guess. And unbeknownst to me, for all my research, I had not somehow not come across any information about Pitocin. And I signed away my rights to that in a stack of midwifery, like financial paperwork. And I ended up having Pitocin after Penny. Um, What do you mean you signed away your rights? Somewhere in this stack of like financial paperwork was a disclosure like, Carla will give me Pitocin if she feels that I need it or if she feels that I'm going to bleed out. And I honestly, I guess I thought like, oh, that would be in an emergency scenario. But obviously that's at her discretion. So that is you signing away your, like your rights and your autonomy to another person, which is, is what in to some degree midwifery is. Um, I just didn't think it would be necessary, I guess. I didn't think it would apply. Mm. So Penny's labor was like eight hours long. Um, and I think that some of that was like me resisting the, the feeling because it was a new feeling. So a lot of it was just like, wow, I've never done this before. This is so intense. I have no idea what I thought it was going to be like, but this is so intense and it is overwhelming and it was whole body and I spent most of it clutching the damn (laughs) toilet tank because I was like I'm in the bathroom things are coming out of me this has never happened I don't know if I should move (laughs) I had I had a woman one time scream in my face this is not ecstatic (laughs) you're not doing it right just open your mouth no shit (laughs) (laughs) this isn't the ecstatic part (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the contractions aren't ecstatic. <laughs> um, there was a lot of, um, I think I was afraid to move. I think that as much as some people have the urge and labor to move and mm. dance, fluid, I did not have that because I felt like I was being struck by lightning. Like what is happening to my body? And the newness of it all was like, I was overwhelmed. I just sat on the toilet like, like a little bitch and I just waited and I just waited. And I think that if I had relaxed, things would have went faster just in the sense that like but eight I hours been, I might have been holding this baby in because I was tense um but that's her fast was appropriately chill and she did not check me until I asked I asked out of irritation toward the end like are you gonna check or what like are you gonna find out if I'm having a baby or no and I was like nine centimeters like baby was basically coming out and she had me moved move from my toilet seat to land, like had me reposition in the bedroom. Um, and then put me in a deep, kind of a deep squat, which at that point, I don't even know if I would have, I was very tired and I probably honestly would have just laid down, um, (laughs) which might've been for the best. Um, Penny came out in just a few pushes, but like, wow, did I ever push? And she told me to push. And like, all of these things are things that I knew I didn't want, but somehow failed to voice to this midwife. Mm. So like, I still had coached pushing and I was doing like cute little grunts and the midwife um, stuck her fingers in me and was like, nope, that's not how you push. Like, you're not pushing. You're like, 
like coughing (laughs) and like showed me how to push, which is, I feel that I, if it wasn't happening, it's because it wasn't happening yet. Like it wasn't time yet. Like if I'm not pushing correctly, it's because there's not a head emerging yet. (laughs) Um, Penny came out pretty smoothly. It was like not even a big thing. Like her head came out and I definitely felt um, what could be described as the ring of fire and her body slid out very easily. She was on the small side, in my opinion, south of eight pounds. And I was given Pitocin almost immediately, like within 20 minutes. And I don't remember anything after that, like gone. Those memories are gone. So I have no idea what, what infant Penny looks like. Um, save a few pictures. So when does your memory pick back up? Um, maybe like a day later, a day later, I have like broken pieces of like what my baby looked like or like what we were doing. And like, I have a couple shitty phone pictures that someone's out, probably my mom. Do you remember the placenta coming out? No, nope. No, no recollection. Obviously it did, but there's no... I couldn't tell you where I delivered it, how I delivered it. I I know we had a, we had a floor bed at the time. So I I doubt that I moved very far and I remember being very tired, but honestly, I just think that the Pitocin fucked my memory. Like it, it, those are gone. Like those, those memories, those images are gone. And that's so sad to me. And I can't believe that I traded, I traded, Corey's um, peace of mind, if you will, um, or my mother's peace of mind, or the first images, like the first memories of my baby. So mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, I would never, I would never put anyone in that position. I, I'm very careful to not recommend free birth in the sense that I'm very like pro whatever you feel safe doing, whatever feels the safest for your body. But I, in this situation, chose something for someone else mm-hmm. and. If I could go back, I would change that. I would change it. I would not have a midwife. Um, or not have a medical midwife. Jesus, she's not even medical. That's what blows she my mind. Definitely she definitely is if she shot you with Pitt. Right? She's So I think part of that is the old school portion of how she functions. She's like 60, late 60s maybe. She's unlicensed. She's a lay midwife. She definitely carries some um, less than legal items. Um, for the fact that she's not licensed in my state. Um, well, yeah, like she, Pitocin. Yeah, she uses them at her, at her discretion, which is a, I mean, Jesus. I guess a mixed bag. I try to not call people out on their illegal activities because I have a plethora of my own. But um, <laughs> her assistant who was there, who I couldn't even identify for you, I don't even know what she looks like. I think her name's Elise. Um, I remember her holding up my placenta to show it to me, but again, I couldn't tell you how the placenta got out of me. And that should, that should really set off like alarm bells. Um, but it also makes sense to me like, wow, all of these things that happen to women in the system. And I'm thinking, how do they happen? How do you let that happen? You let all kinds of weird things happen if you're not there, if you're not present. And that's honestly, I think what happened is. Or if you're on drugs. Pitocin takes away your presence it takes you away from where you are and you aren't, you aren't yourself. And yeah, it's just, that's sad. And it took me a long time to identify that. I think that I wasn't sure. I don't know. Maybe I just thought that it was like the birth woo, you know, the after like the postpartum high It was not the postpartum high, like postpartum high doesn't, doesn't remove your memories of your child. 
Actually, you had your postpartum high suppressed. Yeah. So that's, it's missing. Like the information is gone. So how, how beyond that is your initiation into motherhood and, and, and how are you like processing this violation? Like, are you walking away from this birth being like pretty stoked that you had a successful home birth or are you like, I would say that again. Like I was beside myself. I was, I was evangelizing strangers at the park for home birth. Like, dude, a baby just came out of me. It was wicked. Like, you want to hear the story? Do you want to see the pictures? I was beside myself. I was so excited. It wasn't until Olive's rebirth that I pinpointed everything that went wrong and how much better it could have been, which is, I mean, I see this all the time when I talk to other people about their births, that people come out of hospital births sometimes and they're like, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I just made a person and I'm like, it is amazing. But I know that when you have a home birth in two years, you're going to be like, that was bullshit. Mm -hmm. That was bullshit. That was not worth it. It's like, it makes me think of if all you eat is fast food your entire life and you, you don't know that there's better food, let's say, and then you get the gourmet organic bomb food and you're like, oh shit. I didn't even know I was eating that. Yeah. It's, it's wild that you can think something is so lofty and perfect. And I would have described her home birth honestly as perfect. Um, I was also stitched afterwards, which I think was a result of the coach pushing because I just, I, I didn't need to be stitched obviously, but, um, well, Thank the God tearing might've been a result. And then the yeah. suturing was yeah. a result of having, again, a medically trained midwife there. And she basically put me in a position where she was like, I'm going to stitch you. And I was like, like how you're touching me with the, with that needle. And then, um, I got stitched and that's how that happened. And it was horrible and it hurt like a motherfucker, like about how you would think that stitches in your, in your lady parts would feel after like, you've given birth. Yeah. Yeah. In your, yeah. In your raw meat parts. Yeah. <laughs> it felt just as bad as you would think it would. And that, so that violent. is what stuck in my mind as like pain, like the birth itself doesn't even register as like pain to me still. Um, I remember feeling the ring of fire. I don't remember the rest of her birth as any kind of pain. I just remember it as work. Um, so take me through, yeah, that first whatever you want to share to get us up into Olive. Um, initiation into motherhood was rocky, probably because I didn't bond with my baby properly. Um, I didn't really have a great support system. Penny breastfed and it happened and I was going to make it happen if it killed us both. And sometimes it almost did. Um, she was very fussy. She was very colicky. She probably had a tongue tie. She probably still has a tongue tie and a lip tie. Honestly, don't know. Did never evaluated. Didn't know that was a thing. Um, there was some pain breastfeeding and I just did it anyhow. Um, she had a lot of upset stomachs, possibly my diet, possibly gas, pollock. I don't know. I just didn't have, I didn't have a great system at the time around me. Um, it was a bumpy start. And honestly, Corey went back to work like a day later. So there was no, there was no village for me at the time. Um, when I got pregnant with Olive, we had just moved into a new house. So I was feeling like homey and like comfortable and like, this is where we're going to live for a while. We can put down roots. And I was ecstatic to find out that I was pregnant with, with another child. And at the same time, 
I basically put it to Corey the way that I should have the first time I gave him the news, like I'm pregnant again, which I'd probably known for a week, but was kind of waiting on, on peeing on a piece of paper so that I could, I guess, tell him that it was real. Um, when I let him know, I framed it as I will be having a free birth. If you would like to come along with me, you're, you're welcome to come along with me. But I had been reading voraciously birth stories from early free birth society. So like Facebook, Facebook group era, um, and still watching videos. Penny and I used to watch birth videos together. Um, and basically putting together this birth that I wanted, like knowing that this was possible now and knowing that I could make this happen now and that I've already done this once. I I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Mm. This is going to, I want it to, um, hell yeah. Yeah. Corey was like a little startled, <laughs> uh, was, was pleased at the prospect of saving $1,500, um, which I of course immediately spent on really fancy crap that I didn't need for my birth. <laughs> organic bath towels and I don't know Olive's pregnancy was a delight um which certainly couldn't even begin to tell you what parenting that child is going to be like delightful pregnancies don't necessarily (laughs) translate into delightful children (laughs) um I ate really well I was very focused on like growing this life and I I just I was very very cautious with my body in the sense that I didn't ask it to do anything outside of like what I would normally do. I wasn't, I think I had a lot to prove with Penny. I would go on like crazy hikes and like things that I Mm. probably shouldn't have even done without training normally and felt tired a lot with all of, I was very like aware of what was happening and felt very in tune with my body, which a lot of that I think is what translated into Olive's rebirth, which was the pinnacle still is to me, the pinnacle of free birth. It was amazing. Um, Corey was out fishing with his dad the morning that I went into labor and it came on so suddenly that I almost didn't feel like it was real. And I messaged him like, Hey, so if I needed you to come right back, um, I know you just left, but (laughs) And he's in the car with his dad trying to not like, trying to not expose me like Sarah's having the baby right now. So um, he got dropped back off at some point at our house. And it's like maybe 8am at this point. And I am cleaning the house like there has been a fire lit under my ass and doing all of the weird things that people do in labor. Like I suddenly need to clean the damn baseboards with a toothbrush because we're having a baby. So those need to be clean. Like now we're cleaning out the back of the fridge. I'm washing everything that can be washed. Like do the curtains need to be washed? Let's do that too. That's funny. And like so voraciously cleaning everything in this house. And to the point where there were, there was almost no hot water left and labor um, went up a tick and I'm like, damn, I got to drop off Penny. I hadn't made plans for Penny to be there and I hadn't really hadn't really prepared myself for her to be there. And she was pretty young at the time. She was 16 months. And I just mm. didn't feel like I had it in me to, yeah, to make her comfortable. Nor did I want to like bend over backwards to make this confused toddler comfortable. Depending on the kid, I would have a kid there, but like, it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. I drove across town, dropped her off at a babysitter's, came back, like basically busted through the door in a like mid contraction 
And I don't even remember those being painful. I just remember being irritated that they were stopping me from cleaning everything. And a couple more contractions and I made it to, made it to the bathroom and filled myself a bath because I felt like I needed to be clean. Um, and I got in the naturally (laughs) and that's on brand (laughs) and I maybe filled like two thirds of the tub and I ran out of hot water and got in the tub and had some really good surges in the tub. Like, like actually was able to completely relax and like lean into them. Like, yeah, I like it. This is good. Like enjoy the, the immensity of it in the bathtub. Mm. And I remember like, like basically laying in the bathtub, but like squatting my legs up and like, like getting deep into it and like not really even being conscious of like doing that, like just doing it reflexively. And Olive was born maybe 40 minutes later. Oh my God. So fast. I thought that I was going to shit the tub and my cardinal thought was, I don't have a midwife. I don't want Corey to have to clean the tub out or Britta, my friend, to have to clean the tub out. (laughs) So I stood up so that no one would have to clean the tub and stepped six inches away to the toilet and Olive's entire head presented like in one motion and startled all of us like, oh my God, that is a baby. There she is. Yep. Um, And I moved a little bit to like reposition um, with a head between my legs because I was not planning to have a baby on the toilet. Um, I kind of squatted down um, into like an Iname like forward position. I guess that's like a downward dog, <laughs> the like on all fours um, thinking like, Oh, this will, this will help facilitate like the movement. She felt a little bit like stuck. Um, she had a nuchal hand. So she had a hand up by her face and presented that way. Like, like bam, her whole head and her hand. Hmm. Um and being on all fours did absolutely nothing. And I maybe went through two contractions like that and felt like, wow, this, she's just not, she was wiggling, like wriggling, but not like her body was not moving. And I stood up and her whole body slid out. So it was just a, it was just a positioning thing, I guess. Um, and she, Corey handed her to me and we got back into the freezing cold bathtub and Corey had to go boil water because we were so desperately out of hot water. At this point, it all happened so fast that there was nothing. There was nothing. So he boiled water, added it to our bathtub so that we could actually just hang out for a little bit and not move. And Olive almost immediately latched when we got back in the bathtub. And yeah, we've been pretty much amazing since like day one. Like we bonded like, like nothing else. Like we bonded so easily. And I try to not like think about what that would have been like with Penny, but I know that it could have been different. Mm. Um, but yeah, we bonded so easily, which I mean, it makes sense. Like nothing interrupted, nothing interrupted us. Her cord was probably attached for an hour, maybe longer. I don't know. Didn't time it. Didn't care. Um, I had help walking from the bathtub to our bedroom and I laid down and had a glass of wine and, um, almost died of after pains, but everything else about it was pretty much magical. And so right. So how does that leave you? How do you emerge from that? Um, again, wanting to like evangelize strangers at the damn park. Like, (laughs) do you want to know what just happened? (laughs) I just had a baby. There was no one else there. Like I did this in my power. I paid no one. I had no help. I did it on my own terms. It was beautiful. Do you want to see the pictures? 
<laughs> strangers at the park, like 50, 50, like, um, yeah, I'll take a look, I guess. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, that was certainly, certainly was and still is the high for me, like the pinnacle of birth. And, and that's when but, you start critiquing Penny's birth. Yeah. And I started putting together the pieces. Like it was maybe a month after all of that. Both Britta, my good friend and I, she was there for Olive's birth. Um, we were both kind of putting the pieces together. Like, Oh, this could have happened differently. This could have happened differently with Penny. Or like, why did this happen to you? And we kind of went backwards through like the timeline. And at some point I, found the information from from Corey or my paperwork that I was given a shot of Pitocin like I knew that I had something administered to me I couldn't have even told you what it was at the time and I started doing some research in free birth society and in a few other birth groups about Pitocin and what it does to a person and I'm like oh my god I was drugged no wonder I don't remember like it's gone my memories are gone and this I I felt very violated and maybe a little bit let down not that I idolized this woman but that I thought that she was my friend but like friends don't stab each other with Pitocin right so that's like a it's like a t-shirt free birth society needs to make friends don't let other friends get pit like I, just, I didn't uh, that it wasn't it wasn't adequately explained to me but I think that it never is because when you're hiring a midwife it's like oh, good for you for not choosing the hospital. I'm a midwife. We do X, Y, Z. So yeah, in that sense, they're like... Well, and no midwife ever has been like, so I'm considering giving you this shot that you don't need that's going to make you feel dead inside and will definitely suppress your bonding hormones. Um, But it makes me feel more comfortable. Yeah, Yeah. and I went over that too. I was like... Okay, I some of this was my my fault. I signed away my rights. I signed away my I signed away my bodily autonomy. I signed away my my own safety basically. Like I put my safety in someone else's hands. So she mm-hmm. acted how you know, how she felt was right. Yeah. So you get what you pay for. Um yeah. Just wild to like to think about that to come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. But also to your credit, you didn't know that you needed to be on the defense of a drug right after you gave birth with this midwife, like because of the lack of transparency and right. our own, you know, ignorance of how medical midwifery works. You didn't know. Yeah. And that like, I think I had heard stories of other midwives who were licensed. And so I think I was going to die on that hill. Like well, mm-hmm. unlicensed midwife, she's pretty chill. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, she is pretty chill. She also will cover her own ass because this is her bread and butter. So, and unlicensed doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean anything really. It doesn't mean she's not medically uh-huh. trained. It's like spin the wheel. It could mean anything, honestly. Right. It's like traditional midwife. Yeah. Yeah. I put my, put my safety and my well being in her hands and she did what she thought was best. So it's like, I do feel violated and I did feel violated after I put all those pieces together. Like I had the urge to like call her and chew her out. But I mean, I signed the papers. So yeah, that was, that was a lot to swallow though. Like knowing that I put myself in this shit position and got what I, what I signed up for. Yeah. 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 They're hard lessons. So then, okay. So you have this epic free birth. It's everything you've ever wanted. You feel 
powerful and you're lit up by it and then take us into into the next stage of your life? Um, so much happened between Olive and Bear. Um, we sold our home. We paid off all of our debts. We had plans to put up a yurt in the country, like out in the woods. Um, we moved into a family rental for a number of months. And I'm honestly surprised that Bear wasn't born there, that we didn't stay there. I fell pregnant with Bear in that rental because the new house thing again, like just feeling comfortable in your life again. Um, we were out there for a handful of months and I came back, came back to Eugene in to the town in January and Bear was born in May. So like that pregnancy transitional thing, like this isn't it. This isn't the place that I'm going to give birth. This isn't where I, I don't feel set up. This isn't the right place. Mm-hmm. We moved back into town to be closer to a lot of things. I was afraid, honestly, I was afraid of doing postpartum in the middle of nowhere. Um, we were 30 minutes out of town and they're not that I have a village in town, but I certainly don't have one out there. And I was fearful. Um, of being alone with an infant and two toddlers. Um, I felt overwhelmed by that idea. So that landed us back, back in town at this magical, beautiful house that I felt like we were supposed to be at. Um, and in May after the, what felt like the longest pregnancy I've ever lived through, um, it was May 18th. I went into labor with Bear. Um, I didn't know. And it was the same setup, right? Like you're free birthing, your girlfriend will be there. Yeah. I think that some of the, some of the things that, that led up to Bear's birth were all like lessons in what we can and can't control. So like with Olive's birth, it had been a lesson in like what I can control. Like I can control who's at my birth. I can control, um, who I allow into this scenario, I can control um, what happens to my own body. And with Barry's birth, I took that to a whole other level and felt that I could control every part of it, including the room that I birthed in. Um, I hired a photographer, a male photographer. I allowed Whoa, what's a, up with that? Right. I allowed a um, a doula in training to be present because I felt so overwhelmingly confident that I felt that I couldn't be tripped. Like I felt that I couldn't be, Mm. that it couldn't harm my space, I guess, which is not at all true. Right. Um, You know, a lot of third time mamas do this where it's like, okay, I did it. The The home birth, it was quiet. Now I'm going to do party birth and invite everybody. And yeah, it's interesting. And it was that like overwhelming confidence, which is, that's how I had all of was this overwhelming wave of confidence. But I took that somewhere else and was like, I can control all aspects of what happens, which is absolutely just a lie. Um, and I'm sure that Bear came here to teach me explicitly that. Um, I went into labor with him sometime around 9 a.m., on the six-year anniversary of Corey and I meeting, um, we celebrate this anniversary. We don't celebrate our wedding anniversary because it doesn't feel meaningful to us. 
Um, the weather was kind of odd. I remember bickering with Corey in the morning and I remember feeling like, oh, I'm going into labor. And the tension that came from that, basically slowing it to a halt. Um, it picked back up around noon. Um, I had both of the kids with us at home. He was not working. Um, it kept picking up, labor kept picking up. Um, Britta came over. Eventually, um, our doula friend came over. And I'm texting people kind of slowly. I texted the photographer. I didn't know if that was going to happen or if it was going to work out. He had a lot of other things going on. Um, and honestly, Britta should have just taken pictures. She took pictures with Olive, and I love those pictures. Like mm. They bring me back to that birth. Um, I was pretty intensely in labor. It was maybe... It was maybe one o'clock when the photographer arrived and I'm laboring in the shower and it felt... Wait, I feel like I have to pause. What was up with hiring a male photographer? Was he like a dear friend of yours? Uh, he's a friend of Britta's and he, he is an incredible photographer. Um, after everything that's happened in the last year, I have to say our political views are so fucking um, averse to each other. Uh -huh. I would never, I would never hire this person again. He's uh -huh. an incredible photographer. Like quite, okay. he, he did, um, my maternity photos for bears pregnancy. The amazing ones that are like naked in the middle of the woods. Oh yeah. Those are awesome. With the hot springs. And that's to me is totally appropriate still like those kind of photos, but like, yeah, like I should not have brought a male into my birth just because I felt quote, comfortable with him. Like that's not, that shouldn't be the standard. Like comfortable is too loose of a word, I guess. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's really about, obviously there's no one size fits all. And if like you felt all good, there's nothing inherently, I don't think like wrong with it. Comfortable is like, I don't know if that's the right word. Like I was comfortable with him, like taking maternity photos. Mm -hmm. I just feel like that was, that began like a cascade of weird, weird things that were distracting and abnormal to me. Gotcha. Okay. And I think it did fuck with my primal bearings a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, that we also didn't have a bathtub in this house. And um, I have a little bit of sensory disorder and the bathtub is incredible for like, it's calming he walked in, bless his soul, in, like, work boots. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they were cute. I don't know. <laughs> they were loud. They were loud. I could hear them mm. coming. Um, and he went straight into the bathroom like a good photographer and um, started asking me questions in a very loud voice. And Britta basically descended on him and whispered something really rude into his ear, like, kind of, get the fuck out. <laughs> whisper, offer her water, get out of the bathroom. And he did, did his job. He took some really sweet photos of me laboring in the shower, which I, I do treasure now at this point. At first I was like, wow, I don't want photos of this, but hmm. love them now. Um, many months later, he definitely watered me the whole time we were in the bathroom which is good because I do not have any urge to drink anything in labor but 
wow, I come out of it so dehydrated. Um, and boy, I couldn't have known the hell storm that would descend on me after this labor. Um, it really wasn't, it wasn't a long labor. Um, there's head emerged at 253 um, in the living room. I was squatted down and it felt hard. Honestly, it felt hard, which is not at all how any part of all this birth felt. And it was like almost foreign to me. Like, why is this hard? And I feel that it was the, it was being watched. It was being watched. I was comfortable with these people. I put myself in this position, mm-hmm. but it was still hard. And I think that it was hard because I was just being watched. I, I wasn't, you can only control so many things and the things that are outside of your control can really fuck a lot of, a lot of things up. So like mm-hmm. I let these variables into my home and into my labor space. And I just remember his head being so like feeling so hard to get out. Um, and none of us all, <laughs> none of us thought to set a timer or sh- I just, just track even the smallest amount of like how long since his head is, has been out. Um, because we are all very, at this point, Corey's so comfortable with free birth that he'll talk to anybody about it. And he's really chill about childbirth in general and all of these things and Britta as well. And we were all very like starry eyed about like, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And Hmm. so that's so true. But at the same time, like sometimes you need to move and you need to facilitate things. And, um, no part of me thought, thought that I needed to move in that moment or I was distracted. I was distracted. We had friends there. Um, the kids were there. The kids were running around. Olive kept asking me if I was pooping. <laughs> and then she kept asking if the baby was pooping. And it was very, as cute as it was, and I can laugh about it now, at the time, I remember every time she said it, I was like, get her out of the house mentally. Get her out of the house. Like, Take her mm. away. This is so distracting. It keeps pulling me out of, out of everything. Um, I would say that I struggled. I struggled on the floor to release the rest of Barry's body. And at 316, I stood up and walked to the bathroom. At 317, Barry's entire body fell out of me um, with no effort, no contraction, just dropped out and Corey caught him midair. Um, We wrapped him up and I walked him out to the living room. And the minute that he was in my arms, my heart just sank like I knew something wasn't right. Oh my gosh. Sloppy. And I laid him down on one of the, one of the birthing pads and Britta came over, like seeing that I was concerned and I laid him down and kind of scooted back from him, like cords still attached. And I just said something like, he's, he's gone. He's gone. Um, and it was maybe two minutes of me watching Corey and Britta, these two people that are so dear to me fawn over fawn over this baby and try to bring him to like rubbing his feet rubbing the cord um giving him rescue breaths and I said call call for help which is not not something that I ever felt like I would say and not something that's normally in the forefront of my vocabulary but I asked it was my call and I made the call like I told them I said call. Mm-hmm. and they found a phone and called for help. They called the paramedics and the paramedics 
didn't arrive until almost three thirty. So I mean, it's been wait. So how long is that? It's been like fifteen minutes since he emerged fully, but Mm -hmm. like definitely he was not present for longer than that. I would have to look the videos to know the exact timeline, but like that's a long Mm -hmm. time. Like he's been gone for a while, and. I don't remember. Did you, were you able to tell if there was a heartbeat? There was no heartbeat. So they arrived. I felt that there wasn't one, but also I'm not a medical professional. So I don't look for heartbeats on the regular. Um, They arrived and they pretty much said the same thing. They're like, yeah, there's no, there's no pulse. There's no heartbeat. There's no breath. There's nothing. And I'm like, well, that sounds dead to me. (laughs) So um, my postpartum brain also in the very, like, this was actually for all these hard weird scenarios this was still a very um I was very undisturbed no one touched me no one messed with me and I was very much still elated from the birth like I just had a baby um (laughs) yes that does fly in the face of he is dead but um not at all like Penny's birth I was completely like present I was calm I was there and at that moment my brain just broke off like I have two children. I have two beautiful children and I just had a stillbirth and this baby mm. dead and whatever happens happens. And I think that that as weird and fucked up as that is, that would serve me in the future because I couldn't have known any of this and I couldn't have known what was going to happen to us. And I think that I needed that to preserve my sanity. Um, totally. That's actually a very common I think very shared response of just like a mix of almost like shock meets a weird radical acceptance. I think it could have been different if I didn't have two living children, but there is like a very primal, like, I don't get to die. I don't get to quit. I have two. Mm -hmm. Like This is so sad and it happened and it's real, but I have two children to live for. Um, And I think that that's where my mind went in that moment. Um, I think it's really interesting that when the paramedics arrived, their first, their first major concern after basically identifying this baby as dead, um, for all intents and purposes, they wanted to cut the cord. And I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. really, is that really what's important right now? Like, really, we're doing this? And they looked everywhere. They looked everywhere. I lived in 500 square feet. We were only in one room. We were only in the living room. They could not find their scalpel. They could not find their scalpel. And Britta immediately offered them our cord scissors from our birth kit, which I remember fingering like two days before and thinking, I don't know, these feel harsh. Do I want these? I think we might just burn the cord. And I almost took them out and threw them away. And Britta handed them to a paramedic and he basically balked at them and was like, no, we have a scalpel. We'll find it. And I'm like, really? Really? That's weird. In this scenario. And they must have spent another two minutes looking for the scalpel and ended up using our, our cord scissors are very, um, non-sanitized, slightly gross cord scissors from our kit. Um, But all of that to say that that bought him extra time attached to his, his life source. This whole time he's attached to the cord and I at different points had milked the cord while we're sitting there. Um, But like if they'd found the scalpel immediately, those were minutes that he didn't have attached to attached to the cord. But now it's been like 15, 20 minutes and he hasn't taken a breath. You can't find a heartbeat. And what happens next? They loaded him into the ambulance. Like they basically told us that they were going to transport. It wasn't presented as an option, which 
now I know that you can ask for that. Like you can insist that, nope, we're not going. You do what you can here. Um, he was loaded into the ambulance and they had sent a second separate ambulance for me as though I am dead, dying, broken in some way. And I was incredibly offended by that in the moment. Um, I stood up and gathered what I had left of my senses and Britta brought me a pair of way too tight leggings for my postpartum body. And I stuffed the umbilical cord that I had left (laughs) into my leggings and insisted that I was going in the same ambulance as him. Is your placenta still inside you? Yep. (laughs) And I think that I probably could have delivered it, but like who wants to deliver under those kind of, those kind of circumstances? I think I just thought like, well, I'll just hang on to this until I (laughs) need to do something about it. I don't know. It was very odd. Um, And I think it wasn't, it didn't hit the forefront of my mind. Like I wasn't even thinking about it at the time. Of course. But it is odd though, to think about like walking around with a like descending placenta in you. Mm. Um, They were not thrilled to have me in the same ambulance as him. Um, I insisted to them that I was not a patient and they strapped me into the jump seat over the top of like my very tender, irritated postpartum body. Um, We made it maybe three miles down the road, like, halfway to the hospital, probably another five minutes. And I heard him say, he has color. He's coming back. And I looked out the window for the first time to like see where we were because completely and totally, utterly in shock. And that that sticks in my mind is like the point where he came back. But I just don't, I don't know, to this day, there was, there was nothing there. He was so gone. So I have a completely different take now, I guess, of what dead is. I don't know. It all feels very like fluid or gray. Hmm. It's interesting that you're sharing this part because I recently heard a stillbirth story where they still took the baby who was very much gone to the hospital with attempts to to resuscitate and I I I had the thought when I was hearing the story like that's so weird like dead is dead yeah. and then you tell me your story and it's like I was so confused I was wow confused and like part of me was like like ecstatic it's like it would it was like reliving the birth again like I have a baby but also you can't quite come back from believing that someone's dead like it can't it's not just a snap of a finger mm. we did go I dealt with that a lot later, like having to come to terms with like my brain decided that he was dead. Mm. And that carried over into like, into the hospital. Mm. He was in the NICU for two weeks. And that entire time that we were in there, I struggled with it because we weren't breastfeeding. He was on cooling. He was put on cooling. Um, They told me to prevent further injury to his brain. Yeah. Um, Slows it down, slows the brain damage. Found out afterwards was wildly unnecessary, in my opinion, completely and totally unnecessary. And I wish that I had just said no. Really? He shows no signs of brain damage. He is far smarter than my other two children. Don't tell them I said that. But wait, sorry, just to play devil's advocate, which I usually do not do on the show, but uh, wouldn't... I get that it's like immeasurable, but couldn't you also say 
he shows no signs of brain damage because the cooling worked? No. So the cooling doesn't prevent brain damage. The cooling prevents a second injury to the brain. Okay. So meaning that there had to be a first injury uh-huh. to prevent okay. an injury. Uh, Interesting. Okay. So it's like when the brain, they explained it to me, like when the brain kind of comes back to and restarts, sometimes it hurts itself again when it sees the damage. Mm-hmm. So the cooling was supposed to prevent the brain from seeing the damage and making it worse. Gotcha. Okay. But obviously we can only know that in hindsight, right? So it was an over, it was over treatment, but without the knowledge. It was one of those things that felt wrong at the time, but I let it happen because once you're there, once you're through the doors, like you really are at their mercy and it is really hard to advocate for yourself. Of course. And hard to fight and it's exhausting to fight and make these decisions. And sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong. Right. Um, I do know that now and I wish that that hadn't happened because that ruined our, that ruined our bonding basically because we were <sighs> not allowed to touch. Um, I wasn't allowed to touch him for damn near two weeks. I had to <laughs> beg them to even, even allow me to hold him while he ate. Like just the level of separation was unreal. And all of that added to like my body feeling that my baby was still dead. Yeah. Yeah, it was really it was a very a very intense time. I was able to pump in the hospital. Um, it was about as much fun as pumping in the hospital sounds like. Yeah. Uh, How long was he in, in NICU? 15 days. 15 days. We were released on the 15th day after a grueling 40-hour period of them keeping me awake so that they could monitor me to make sure that I knew how to insert the feeding tube in his nose. Oh, wow. Properly, even though I had done this in front of them many times, they wanted to see viable proof that I was able to stay awake for long enough periods to feed and care for this baby. Wow. So that was mortifying and weird. And actually no one came to check on me. So unless there were cameras on me, it was actually just them fucking with me. Wow. Okay. So the treatment after the cooling, was it largely the the feeding tube and observation? So the rest of the time, it was like 72 hours was the cooling. And then there were honestly a couple more days on top of that where they kept us there because they're like, well, we have to bring him slowly back to room temp or back to body temp. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, for fuck's sake, you said 72 hours. I want to hold my damn baby. Um, Mm -hmm. After that, it was all based around his bowel movements. Is he peeing and pooping normally? Can he eat? Can he swallow? And they kept coming back to, he can't swallow. He has no gag reflex. He can't swallow. His quality of life is going to be horrible. You're going to have to, he's going to have to have a G-tube surgery, like a hole in his stomach, Mm. all of this stuff and all of this excessive on the dark side, fear mongering. They gave me a 300 page packet about basically the brain damage that they are assuming happened to him. And I read two pages and I was like, this is depressing. And I recycled it. Um, Do you think that the transfer supported his life? It's a soft way of saying, do you think the transfer was necessary? Did, Did he receive any care that you as the mother now you know, quite a while away from this experience now, like, 
did it help? So I grapple with this a lot. I I bet. Don't think that in the moment I did the wrong thing calling per se, but I wish that I had insisted that his body stays at home because I honestly think that the paramedics could have brought him back to at home. I don't know about the legalities of this, like if anyone would actually do this. I don't think that anything that happened in the hospital was even remotely necessary. Wow. I don't think that anything that happened in the NICU was necessary, helpful, beneficial, good in any way, shape, or form. So in the ambulance, when he came back into his body, were they doing resuscitation that whole time? They were doing rescue rest for a little bit, and then they put him on some kind of oxygen probably to keep his organs like healthy. Mm-hmm. The fact that there was no oxygen coming in. Um, they also did, I might be getting my language wrong, they did a pick line in his leg. So mm-hmm. as a small scar on his leg to this day from them putting that into him. And it's some kind of, it's some kind of fluids. I would have to look up the exact details, but this, this is a common practice of mm-hmm. like trying to resuscitate small, small children or infants. Um, and I think that, I think that that helped. I think that those things, I think that the oxygen and the pick line helped, but I also, I just wonder if he would have just come back to at some point if we had just kept mm-hmm. holding him kept massaging him kept kept giving him rescue rest there is that is, that does sit in the back of my mind that that he possibly could have been okay at home and we probably would have all been like beside ourselves about about the entire event afterwards mm-hmm. but yeah I, I did think about that a lot while I was sitting up in the NICU like did I bring this shit storm down on us for no reason and then the flip side of that too that I had I had this thought in the ambulance, like, if he is dead, I have made the biggest mistake because now he has cords running out of him and they're going to keep him on life support, even though he's dead. And Mm. I'm going to have to sign a birth certificate and a death certificate. And then I'm going to have to pay a funeral home to take my infant's body away from me and all of this. And I'm going to have to buy like a burial plot in a strange land and pay for a stone to memorialize this baby that I just want to hold. And like, it's that, that moment of like seeing your kid covered in medical supplies that no one ever wants to be there. And the thought in my mind that like, he could still be dead after all of this. And I mm-hmm. lost all of these minutes holding him. Oh God. So him coming back was like, in that moment, it did feel like a slap on the back. Like, dude, you did the right thing. At least yeah. this far. I do. Of course. I had insisted that they stayed in our home. I don't know if that's even legally like, I don't know what my rights are there. If I could have gotten paramedics to bring him back in my living room, but I wish I'd tried. Yeah, I hear you. I doubt it. I really doubt it. I think that, you know, once you invite them in, their job, you know, as, as EMTs, their job is to keep bodies alive until they get to the hospital. Their job essentially is support while transfer. It's not in-home care. So I don't think you could have gotten that. I don't think that's their their training. And I don't think that's their um, job, truly, yeah. you know. And there is no right or wrong, right? Even though it doesn't necessarily always feel like that. Like there's no, you didn't make a wrong call. It wasn't, none of it was wrong. It's, it's, it's just what, happened and you of course made the calls that you made with the information that you had and oh 
so intense. It's also... How old is Bear now? He will be two in May. So what's your your assessment, you know, as best as you could speculate or your, your sense of what happened in his birth? Um, at one point in time, I felt that it was somehow my fault, which that could still be divided many different ways. Um, because I am responsible for me and to some degree I'm responsible for the life I'm carrying. But also when we were in the NICU, there was a kind older doctor who actually put into my mind that he was interested in doing a brain scan because he was curious if there was something amiss with bear that would have led to him not rotating easily and readily coming out. And that was the, because it was shoulder dystocia, huh? It feels like shoulder dystocia and it, fits a lot of those it fits a lot of those descriptions I haven't Mm -hmm. quite like put the put the stamp on it yet like I haven't quite I hate using that term I hate that term because but if it is what it is I mean I know it gets thrown around a lot and I did oh it's totally mis misused all the time but that doesn't mean that actual shoulder dystocia doesn't exist right like and I did land myself into like I think that I pathologized it too and I thought during labor I thought maybe this is shoulder dystocia like maybe he's stuck so I did the Ina maneuver, the Gaskin maneuver, like I leaned forward again on all fours and it didn't do shit. And I stayed in that position for way too long, I think, trying to make it do something. And honestly, he came out in the bathroom. He came out in the bathroom, mm. which all of my kids came out pretty damn near the bathroom. Like it is a release, a psychological release. And that is obviously where my body feels comfortable. And they um, both Olive and Bear came out as I stood up. So there is Mm -hmm. a, like a release thing to that. It could have been shoulder dystocia. I don't know if shoulder dystocia is easily, is easily remedied by standing. I don't know about the physiology of that. Um, Other things that have crossed my mind though, I will openly admit that I did not know about um, full bladder in labor. I didn't know that that was an issue um, until Mm. very, very recently. Um, maybe it's not always, but I hadn't even, hadn't even occurred to me, hadn't heard this before this line of thought. Mm-hmm. And I do know that I would not have peed freely, if you will, in front of all of these people. Mm-hmm. Britta, yes. Corey, yes. These other people that we hosted, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not in a bathtub. I was not in a bathtub. I was not in the bathroom. So I was not really in a great spot to just like urinate on the floor. I mean, that sounds stupid, but those kind of thoughts cross your mind. Like, I'm not yeah. on my wood floor. Um, and I just wonder if that factored in too. Like, I don't know. I drank a ton of water. I don't think I peed ever after I got out of the shower. So those things do make it harder harder for baby to come come free. I mean, yeah. I had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different thoughts about like what ultimately caused this. But after many rounds with this, Britt and I kind of both came to... I kept myself safe. I kept myself safe. I I may have harmed my child and I did come to terms with that. Like I might've caused harm to my child in the process, but I kept myself safe and I'm sorry, but I do look out for number one first. I have other children to take care of. So I protected me in this birth. Um, thankfully. Yeah, but Sarah, doing doing right by you is doing right by your children. Like you you set up to the best of your ability at that time, you set up an optimal environment for you and your family. And the rest is up to yeah. 
fucking everything else that we can't control. There's a lot of variables. I invited a lot of variables. And I, I do think that that factored that like, there were a lot of like weird variables in this scenario. Like I, I chose to not birth in a bathroom. I chose to not birth in the place I was most at ease. And I invited strange people in. So I do think all of those things slowed down. the Yeah. But I, I don't know. Yes, I, I hear you. And I, I obviously am, am, am with you on the side of, of undisturbed birth and all of that. But, but then my mind also, you know, goes to like, okay, women also give birth in comas. Oh, they also I give birth. going to come out. Yeah. Right. And so I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm feeling protective of you. And like, I don't want to overemphasize it really, these, it really depends on these mild disruptions when, and have it somehow like lead to this shoulder dystocia. Oh, no, no. You know, yeah, I, that, it's not one thing or the other. It's just like yeah. on the week. And some weeks I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, it was shoulder dystocia. It just depends on, <laughs> depends on when you hit me. But yeah. And he was damn near 10 pounds. I still don't know his exact birth weight because sure. by the time they weighed him, they had put fluids in him. Right. So I do, I, less. I enjoy that I don't know those exact details. I thrive on lack of information, if you will, in the sense that like, I feel very protective of, of his details. Um, especially after all of these exposing things that happened to him, um, bear at the moment is still quite literally sovereign on paper. Um, he is an unpapered child and I felt like that was the right thing to do. I don't know if I'll change that in the future, but I felt like it was a gift at the time after everything he'd been through, um, so to give him back some of his own self so we have a couple minutes left and I wonder if you want to share just like I know you know I know that this whole experience in NICU then set off the CPS stuff and there was a case opened against you and I don't know if you want to speak to any of that or or if you want to just essentially I want to just ask you like so then what, like, how does, how does this all leave you and your family in kind of whatever direction you want to take it to, to wrap it up? I do want to touch on like his aftercare a little bit. So we were released 15 days later from the NICU and they really went to great lengths to make it feel like I was taking home a high risk child and like, I would be lucky to be able to care for this difficult infant. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you don't know. You don't know about my other kids. Like, I'm sure I'll be fine. Thank you though. Um, they sent me home with a insurance provided machine that would basically pump whatever I put in it, whether that be breast milk, goat milk, um, borrowed formula from a friend or um, breast milk from a friend, um, which he had damn near everything but formula in those first two months, just through all the chaos. He was on that for two weeks. And I'm telling you, it felt abusive. There was a point um, when we'd been home for maybe five days and I hadn't really connected with this baby after everything that happened. And I'm getting ready to poke this little line down into his nose um, so that he can eat because he's still not eating from a bottle or latching properly. And he actually like looked at me, like he looked at me and we like locked eyes and it was like, he was asking me to not. 
And like, he was asking me to trust him. And it was the strangest thing, especially to a baby that I was not really connected to, Hmm. um, to see that. And I just started bawling. And from that point onward, I felt completely different about the feeding tube situation. And I started making appointments with a fury. He went to the chiropractor. He had probably two dozen chiropractor visits in the first few months. Um, but those initial ones made the biggest difference. I mean, he laid Mm. in a box in a hospital for two weeks. So like, he's going to be a little fucked that in addition to any possible like birth injuries, if you will, if this is shoulder dystocia, like his shoulder might be a little fucked. Mm -hmm. He needed an adjustment, something fierce. He was adjusted multiple times that first week after we got out of the hospital. Um, He had craniosacral a dozen times. Um, At that point, he started, started latching on the breast, but my my own brain was falling apart from like lack of sleep from pumping. I've never pumped before. And it, it destroyed me. We had like one proper outlet in this house. And my partner was not supportive of any of this at the time he was busy and didn't care. And I think was very detached and processing his own trauma from all of this, if you will. Um, I weaned him off of the feeding tube after that day, I weaned him off the feeding tube. It took a few days for me to get him fully off of the feeding tube and onto a bottle because I didn't feel confident enough with um, everything happening. I felt like they were going to come back and ask for weights and information. Mm -hmm. So that was me giving some things up for as a trade there. Mm -hmm. Like I need this kid to be fat. I need this kid to weigh more than enough so that there, there is no one looking long and hard at me. Oh, Uh, so stressful. So I was, feeding him breast milk or a combination of breast milk and the raw milk formula. Um, and I turned in their feeding tube. I, it was like a text system and I texted the guy that runs it and I was like, Hey, I don't need the tube. He's off the tube. He's eating like he's good. And someone came and picked it up like two hours later. And then the next day I got a call from CPS, um, worried about his well-being because I turned in his feeding tube. Whoa. Because I turned in the system that fed him. So I guess they thought that he must have died. I don't know. <laughs> so wow. that along with um, some really, really shitty neighbors um, who had called us in the week that Bear was born. And I hadn't really had time to address that. They called me in for things that I have never done and would never do. And made out of the blue accusations about my care for my other two children. And all of this kind of led into like an entire phase of PTSD for me of like, wow, panic attacks when the phone would ring and Mm. thinking it's going to be the damn hospital and they're like trying to repossess my kid or it's going to be CPS and they're afraid that I'm not feeding him. And Corey and I were not in a great point at this, at this time, like we were both processing our own shit and yeah, I was just it was a really, it was a really rocky time. It was really bad. Wow. And I just, I didn't think that I was going to make it out of that. And I hit some really, really low lows that I didn't know that I could, that I could get back out of. And yeah, that was all, it was all very scary. And honestly, that's, I don't feel that his birth was traumatic in any way, shape or form. And I know that 
some of the people that were at his birth would openly say that it was traumatic. I don't feel for them, I guess, or overall, I don't feel that his birth was traumatic. I feel like his birth happened on my own fucking terms. And I feel grateful that he's here with me, but I also like, I'm still integrating everything that happened and his birth doesn't even register in my mind as scary, bad, or traumatic in any way. Just like, it was intense. It was intense. There was thunder and lightning while I was giving birth. It was our, it was our anniversary. It was, it was so many things like that day has so much meaning. Wow. It just felt like the catalyst for a lot of things. Um, yeah. Um, how is he now? He is better than, better than fine. He's so, so smart for his age. It's insane. He's, he just, he knows things. He knows things. He knows how things work. And he's, I don't know, maybe I didn't notice it with my other kids because I wasn't really like looking hard at them. And I did spend a time like watching him, like waiting for him to hit milestones. And then I kind of caught myself and was like mortified, like, I said that we weren't going to do this. I said that we weren't going to compare. I said it didn't matter. I said he wouldn't be behind if I wasn't comparing. And it was right after I kind of like checked myself, like, excuse me, he is not your project. He is his own person and he's going to develop how he's going to develop. Um, and I have never been like one of those, like, oh, we're going to go to therapy and we're going to move your legs in this direction so they get stronger. Like, I just think that life itself is, is the best medicine. And mm-hmm. I just wanted him to have the most normal life. And I didn't want him to have a life filled with doctor's appointments and therapy mm-hmm. and brain scans. I would rather him be halfway a vegetable and we'll just see what happens. I don't know. I just, I don't want him to be anyone's science project. And as soon as I let go of that, like, he is not my project. I am not going to track this. I'm not going to fix this. He is his own person. He started flourishing. Like he started gaining weight. He started hitting milestones. He started getting better. And maybe it's because I changed how I was acting toward him. Maybe it's that I changed how I was treating him. Like I started treating him like one of my children instead of like, like Mm -hmm. I was waiting for him to do a trick. Um, he's amazing. He laid on the floor like a damn paperweight till he was six, seven months. And then just rolled over one day and was like, I guess I'll learn to crawl now. And he started crawling. And then a few months later, he started walking. Hmm. And now he has a wide vocabulary of words and he walks, talks, will climb to the ceiling. (laughs) And he has names for all of us. And he has little sign language and he throws away his own trash. And he, (laughs) he he will get a diaper and a wipe when he needs a change. He just, he's so smart. Hmm. He's so smart. He's so, so glad, so totally fine. So fine. So fine that when he screams, sometimes I feel like leaving that on the voicemail, voicemail box for the NICU. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't, he didn't cry the whole time we were in there. He didn't cry. And they had listed that as a problem, but it was like the bottom of their list. Cause they're like, well, he doesn't cry. He doesn't make any sounds. And I'm thinking, no shit. You intubated him. His voice, like his vocal cords are probably fucked. He didn't make a damn sound the whole time we were in the NICU. And honestly, it was almost two weeks after we were out of the hospital before he started like having little cries. And I think he was processing his own shit. 
Of course. Yeah. Just in, in freeze mode. Of course. And I think it's like a fight or flight thing and he couldn't. Yeah. So he just, he just hid. Exactly. Yeah. That's totally understandable. I appreciate your, your candid, you know, retelling of all of this because this is scary stuff and it's really intense and some of it's dark and it's such a, um, it's such a part of motherhood and of, you know, having to live with all of the choices and decisions that we make. And again, none of it's right or wrong. It just is. And, you know, I hope that this storytelling and this episode helps women grant themselves a little bit more grace and softness and forgiveness and, yeah, integration for wherever wherever you all are at in your mothering because that's what we all need. And this is just, it's a hard, it's a hard road, man. It's a lot. It's a lot of lessons. And I love your stories. I really do. I appreciate, yeah, just the honesty in, in all of them and just that the lessons do not stop coming. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the support. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shy Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension, I will fly and bring her back from the stars. Conscious 